Saturday, the women back at Wofford after this Thursday contest against the Terriers. Of course, there are two women's basketball games against the same opponent this year during conference play. Just one day separating those two matchups. My name is Mike Gallagher, Jay Sandos, along shortly on Sandos and the Sidekick. We will talk women's basketball, previewing what we can expect from these back-to-back games in the same location against the same team. That's something that we have previously seen. And then, of course, ETSU men's basketball is taking on Furman and you pay attention to men's basketball closely in the Southern Conference, you saw three great games yesterday, including the Paladins and Citadel. The Bulldogs' perfect record now gone. It was 8-0, granted four wins against non-Division One teams. A 94-88 win for Furman, while Citadel, despite their big three, Caden Rice, Hayden Brown, Fletcher Abee, they put up... Uh, Decent numbers across the board, except for a B, who was 2 for 11. It was Rice and Brown combining for 38. Tyler Moff with 13. And then a couple off the bench, Brent Davis and Rudy Fitzgibbons, the third, with 10 points apiece. Just too much clay mounts. 29 points for Furman on 10 of 12 from the floor, 4 of 5 from outside, 5 of 6 from the line. 18 for Noah Gurley, 17 for Mike Bothwell, and 10 for Alex Hunter. So Furman still rolling, and now they meet the ETSU Buccaneers coming off of quarantine. That will be segment Number two here on Sandos and the Sidekick today. And then finally, bold predictions. This Thursday edition of Sandos and the Sidekick as we continue to ebb and flow throughout the week. Two shows per week after, geez, five shows a week our first year, three in our second year now, two per week in this compressed year that we have because things are about to get extremely busy. I think I counted there's something like 14 games in the next 18 days or something like that that uh, Jay Sandos and myself are going to be working for ETSU women's and men's basketball and then you have men's soccer starting at the beginning of February and then after that uh, you've got women's soccer starting volleyball is actually underway this weekend on the road as a matter of fact or I should say two weekends from now on the road uh, at Furman and then their first home games are the weekend of Valentine's Day. So there's a lot going on and a lot to talk about as we go through Sandos and the Sidekick today and over the ensuing weeks as Jay Sandos now does sit down to join us. And ETSU women's basketball is the first topic. And, and it's two teams that are very similar in my eyes, Jay. Not great shooters of the basketball, specifically from long range. Not good free throw shooters. Both rebound it very well. None that are phenomenal individual scorers. Everyone hovering around 10 points per game in terms of the leading scores for Wofford. It's Naya Lutz, Lily Hatton, and Jamari McDavid for ETSU. Only one in double figures right now. That's Micaiah Dowdell. So it's a bit of fire versus fire, though, describing it the way I just did. Not great shooters of the basketball or free throw shooters or individual scores. I'm not sure fire versus fire is the right term. It's two teams that play very similarly, though. And with Wofford coming off a win over Furman in their first Southern Conference game, the Bucks coming off a loss against Chattanooga. I'm expecting 
Some very interesting things on day two. I think we kind of know what we're going to get on day one, but that's just my opinion. Your thoughts on this contest before we talk about the weekend as a whole. Well, I, I think the big thing is who's going to shoot the basketball. And I think you just look at pure numbers, not just points per game, but field goal percentage for both teams. You look at scoring averages. You look at a lot of things. Who's going to shoot the basketball the best? And you could probably say, well, in a lot of games, that, that's what matters. I think specifically when two teams don't score the ball, if somebody goes above their norm, I think then obviously you have a better shot of winning. The second thing I think is going to be tough is that Wofford such a very good rebounding basketball team, especially on the offensive glass, 131 offensive rebounds in eight games. So long rebounds, right, off long shots, lead long rebounds. you got to make sure if you're ETSU you can't get lost in your assignment. It's not just as easy as, hey, a ball goes up, go get the ball. Sometimes it's more important to check out who you're supposed to check out or block out and come down and rebound. If you're a guard, you can't leak out. I think that's a problem, too, sometimes as guards sometimes get, uh, well, you know, she's gotten two or three rebounds in a row. I can go ahead and just maybe try to sneak down the other end, cherry pick. And, you know, if you can't get a rebound. You can't kick it out there, and you can get in transition. Well, clearly ETSU is a lot better in transition, um, and a lot of teams are better in transition. But – I think it's important for all five players, especially defensively, to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing on the defensive end. And then, honestly, if it gets down to a free-throw shooting contest, you got to give ETSU the edge on that, too, because Wofford just a 59% as a team from the charity stripe. So As are the Bucs, unfortunately. Are they 59 as well? I yeah. thought they were 63. I looked at the wrong thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, you hope it doesn't come down to that right uh, Apparently. Uh, well, and here's the other thing. Not just with the new rule that's been in place for a few years. Now, you can do the advances, but certainly miss free throws and the advances. It could be a very entertaining end to the basketball game. I think whoever shoots the basketball, rebounds the basketball, I, I think is, is going to be the winner. If a team shoots 40% and the other team shoots 35% and the other team has is in the plus rebounds, I think it's a no-brainer. That's what's going to side the game. To me, the biggest thing is field goal percentage, rebounds. Those two categories – I think is going to determine the game because all the other numbers tend to sort of line up, apparently free throw numbers, which I was just told. So all the other things, I think field goal percentage, rebounding, top two things that have to be in concern for both squads. Extremely similar, no doubt. I think one of the things that worries me, and this is going to sound weird, but I'm always the when will this player that we know is capable of doing great things break out if they're struggling? And Jackie Carmen is that person for Wofford right now. Remember, about two years ago, we started talking about her. She was averaging 13 points per game in her first 17 games. As a collegiate, was sharp shooting from outside, like 37% from deep, was like top five in the league and three-point percentage, and was just putting up numbers on a team that was already stacked. You know, you had Chloe Wanick, you had Deja Green. I believe that was the year that Wanick injured her knee and missed a lot of the season. Um, so you didn't have her at that time, but she was on the roster, and you had Deja Green and Cairo Booker, and there were a lot of weapons for that Wofford team, and Carmen was filling in admirably and, and really becoming one of the better scorers as she continued to mature throughout the year um, and was in line to win freshman of, the, freshman of the year for the conference. Then she injures her knee and misses the entire rest of that season and then misses all of last season. So you want to talk about severe knee injuries. It doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, missing a season and a half of basketball, and understandably so. She's had some rust since coming back. She's only 22.87 from the floor, 25%, 17% from outside, has made only eight threes, and that is one of the interesting things about this Wofford team. I think they were relying a lot 
on Carmen to be able to stretch the defense and knock down some of those shots because in her first year, she proved she could do just that. But no one has made more than eight threes this season as an individual. Lily Hatton, the center, freshman of the year last year in the conference for Wofford. She's actually been the one, um, again, at a post position that's been more of that stretch four, stretch five, and is shooting 47% from deep. But she's not one to take a lot of those shots from distance. So they need to get Jackie Carmen going to stretch that defense to be able to open things up in the paint for Hatton because Hatton can't play both positions, right? She can't be down low, be in your post presence, and then also be outside shooting the basketball. Some others have stepped up, and Nia Lutz and Alexis Tomlin, um, players that really were career bench players for Wofford, but now have stepped in with the departures of Wanink and Green and Booker, uh, three of their most important pieces from last year. So I'm hoping that this weekend is not the one that Jackie Carmen figures it out. You obviously get that she doesn't play basketball for a year and a half in a game setting. There's going to be a bit of a slow-to-go recovery of her game. But we're pretty deep into the season now. When is that game going to recover? Because I fear every game that passes that she doesn't do well is one game closer to her putting up a big day. No, I I think that's when you take that long, and everybody's different, and a lot of times it comes down to trust, right? Do you trust the, the knee, the injury, whatever it is, and with needs especially, especially I think in sports where you have to cut and do things like that. So football, basketball, I think it takes longer than maybe some of the other sports where there's not as much cutting lateral movement. In, uh, I'm not saying obviously you don't cut, make lateral movements in baseball or hockey or some of these other sports, but I feel like um, basketball in general for athletes, I think you see people that come back, and if they come back early, they're just not themselves. Somebody that comes back later, is it a situation where – because normally they say, you know, it takes a year for it to heal, but it takes the second year before somebody feels comfortable on it. Right. And I haven't watched a lot of tape, and I will probably watch uh, Thursday's game and uh, listen more on Saturday since obviously I'll be dialed in since we're doing the doubleheader. But um, I'll be curious to see the movement and to see exactly how is she moving, how is she adjusting you know, and see if that is maybe an issue. And it could just be, you're right, a ticking time bomb in the sense of once she figures it out, once she trusts. Again, <clears throat> I haven't watched Wofford yet on tape, so I'm not sure if that's the case or not. Just being around sports for 20-plus years at the Division One level, whether as a student, um, helping with the network, or being in charge of the network here, that just, my opinion, that's what it is. I just looked up the Furman-Wofford stats because – that game, it's two teams that particularly don't score the ball well either. And Wofford shot 6% better from the floor and had plus 7 on the glass. They won the game by 6. I, I, if I could simplify it down to those two things, I think that's what I'm going to simplify it down to was just simple. They shot the ball a little bit better. It wasn't much better. You know, when you look at, you know, because you talk about 7%, but in 50 shots, it's, it's not a lot. You know, 22 of 51 compared to uh, – Ooh, 19 to 55. So a couple shots made here or there, four more shots attempted, but the reason they got four more shots attempted for the simple reason they had, you know, seven more rebounds, including 12 offensive rebounds, but just six of 20 from three. So, you know, that could be the one situation where maybe the field goal percentage lies a little bit, but one team can make more threes than the other. But I think it's simply going to come down to those two things. And then can ETSU – I think opportunistic because it's not necessarily offensive rebounds. You could lose the rebounding category and not give up a lot of second-chance points. I mean, the game against Chattanooga, 
you know, ETSU was out rebounding on the offensive end, but then the second chance points really weren't that different. So you can stay in there for there. I think a big key in this game particularly, I think, is going to be what's McDavid going to do. I think that's a situation where, if I'm not mistaken, she's had some pretty big games against ETSU in her career. She's kind of hovering right around that 10-11 point per game contest, but she's a lady that could fill it up when need be. Now, last game, she only took seven shots. He was actually fourth on the team in shots attempted. Lutz and Hatton and uh, Carmen combined either take 10 or 11 between them, 32 shots between those ladies. But, you know, it's sort of, you know, we've always talked about a three-headed monster. Wofford's going to be a four-headed monster, uh, at least as far as getting shots up available. And I, and Wofford is not a particularly great free-throw shooting team. Did go 11 of 19, which was better than their percentage. No, it wasn't. It's 58. Man, I'm trying to give them credit being a good free-throw shooting team, Mike, and they're not. I'm just going to quit trying. Not going to talk about anybody being a good free throw shooter for Wofford. So, I I think just, again, staring at these numbers, I think it's huge and imperative that the Bucks be able to get some confidence early, get some shots to go down, especially in this first game because of the oddity of playing sort of a two-game series. McDavid's interesting because she falls into that same category as saying Ebony Williams, Tasia Twitty, years gone by of players that are – Five ten to six feet that just have some lift, and we talked about Ebony Williams um, in mass really before that Chattanooga game. So I don't want to revisit it a whole lot, but once again, Jamari McDavid, five ten, athletic, can rebound. She's not quite the caliber though. Ebony Williams has continued to progress throughout her collegiate career. It seems like Jamari McDavid kind of is who she is. She doesn't shoot the three, doesn't stretch the defense, doesn't go outside. She's very much that fifteen foot and in player she's not as adept of a finisher at the rim she doesn't go for the big explosive games like Ebony Williams does like Tasia Twitty has in the past and so 10.6 rebounds per game she has had a big game or two against the Bucks, but it's been way more up and down way more of a roller coaster than say an Ebony Williams who it seems like absolutely kills Brittany Azell's team every single time that she plays the blue and gold I think McDavid is going to be a key in the sense that you just can't let her outperform her averages because once she gets going and she sees a matchup she wants to exploit, she can have those big games. It's not as common. It's not uh, something you'll see all the time. Uh, but if she has one or two of those nights because they're playing back-to-back games, the Bucks are going to be in real trouble. This isn't a team, as we said, that has a lot of tremendous scores. You know, Lily Hatton, we know, is an ever-improving player who's going to be a very good player for the next three years in this league after winning freshman of the year last year. Naya Lutz, now that she's getting more of an opportunity, um, is continuing to um, show that she, when she is asked to do certain things, uh, can succeed. And she's tied for the team lead in scoring. But I, I do think McDavid will be a key because the Bucks could not figure out how to stop Ebony Williams. They have not been able to stop Ebony, Ebony Williams her entire career. McDavid's a senior, right? And so she has not had that continued step forward, but she's still got you know, 12, 13 games to really make her imprint on this program. You know, She has to be the one as the only senior on this roster that steps forward when Jackie Carmen is struggling, when Lily Hatton as a sophomore just doesn't have a good day because with underclassmen, you know those days are going to come and go. It's going to be a bit fleeting. So McDavid, it is a good point, really needs to make sure that she has her best the rest of her senior season. Now, we know this year doesn't count. She could come back for one more year, right? So it's not like the urgency is 100% there. But um, if she doesn't have fashions on coming back, she is going to be – someone that's in the final weeks of her collegiate career. And does she have that extra gear 
to go to because if it is there for her, this would be the matchup to start, right? Because ETSU has struggled against her type of player. Well, and the you know thirty offensive rebounds this year. She has more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds. So an animal on the glass, as you would expect, you know, seems to be a pretty good scorer um, around the rim, eight ten feet somewhere in there. She did she did take and hit her only three of the season last game. But she's going to make her bread and butter, low post, offensive rebound, putbacks, energy points. Somebody that sometimes at the end of the night you look and you go, man, they had 14 points. And sometimes it's the sneaky 14 points, right? Um, And I think because she is getting less and less shots as far as the offense goes, if you just look at the 78 shot attempts again, is third on the team. I guess Lily Haddon's been taking a few more shots the last three or four games. But for the most part, you look at McDonald's, McDavid, and it seems like she's getting a lot of her work on the offensive glass putback or maybe one or two shots on the block. And Wofford's a team, you know, that's not bashful about at least haven't been in the past, right, running some clock, shooting, a, uh, either getting it inside for a good look or late in the shot clock, they'll take a three if they need to. So I, I think patience for Wofford is going to be key in this game. I think ETSU force them up tempo. We've started to see Carly Hooks come up with more steals since she's been starting in the lineup. She's starting to assert herself, I think, defensively in the passing lanes. I think if you get if you get Hooks, I think if you can get Upton, I think if you get Amaya Adams and some of those that have a knack for paying attention to the scout, knowing that if somebody comes off this screen or if a set looks like this, they're trying to get the ball here. They are very good. Matter of fact, a couple times I think a couple of those ladies have overran and missed a steal because they have knew exactly where the ball was supposed to go. They've overran it. I think this is a good opportunity for ETSU to take advantage of some of the sets that Wofford traditionally has liked to run and be able to get in the passing lanes, and particularly those three ladies that are very good at it, anticipating, be able to pick up some of those steals and get Wofford out of rhythm and try to speed them up as opposed to letting Wofford dictate the game. I do wonder what kind of game we're going to get tonight because you've got two teams that, as we said, are very similar and seemingly on a given evening that can go either way. Are we going to get the high-scoring shootout? Are we going to get the more like a Furman-Wofford game where it was 61-54 to 54, uh, with ETSU and Chattanooga, you know, again, kind of similar, 66-51? to 51. Is it going to be that, you know, uh, race to 60, right? Are we going to have that? And then if we do, do the offenses adjust more going into Saturday and we have a higher scoring game? Historically, these have been high scoring games between these two. Winning teams gotten to at least 75 each of the last seven games. But this year, the teams have broken 70 just twice combined. Both of those were for Wofford and one was against Erskine, so only once against a Division One opponent. So the teams look very different, right? ETSU's had that roster turnover the last couple of years where you don't have maybe as many offensive weapons right now. Players that could be offensive weapons eventually, but have not proven to be so far. Um, I think you have to go back to 2011-12, if memory serves, to find the last time that the Bucks only had one player to average in double-figure scoring. Actually, Destiny Mitchell did it back-to-back years where she was the only one. Right now, Micaiah Dowdell is averaging 10 points per game, which would be the lowest since at least those Destiny Mitchell years. Uh, I don't think there would be, if you go back maybe to the infancy of the program, times where you didn't have a double-figure score average the entire year um, and just had everybody in you know single digits. But right now, Makai Dowdell's hanging on, clinging on to that double digits with 10 points per game. So I think for the Bucks, quite easily, or quite honestly, you just need better individual efforts. And that sounds so simple, and it sounds very direct, but 
players just aren't doing enough. I mean, the season high for an individual in the game for assists is five right now. Season high for rebounds is eight. And outside of the 21-point game that Makaya Dowdell had, no one's broken 20 points. So you need more from your top-end players because you have depth, and that's something Brittany Azell has preached, but who at the top of your roster is stepping up? And if you get a Jasmine Sanders, a Makaya Dowdell, a Jakai Davis, maybe all three in the same game, um, that is going to be enough to win a game like this, at least the type of game I think is coming because I think it is going to be a race to 60, 65, um, these two teams just haven't shown that they can consistently score. So if you can put all the pieces together, then you can get to those numbers. You're getting better individual efforts. You're getting more wins. But until that's demonstrated, it's hard to count. I mean, do you think, because uh, to me, it, you know, and I talk about this a lot in individual games, if the first couple shots go down, sometimes they're contagious. And I think ETSU's had some spurts, but they've not really started the game, the first quarter. 7 of 8, 9 of 10, something like that. And I'm wondering if they could get one of those. Number one, I think it would carry through the game. And it may even out or slow down. Obviously, nobody's going to shoot 90% for the game. But it would you know, lead to a day where they could get to 45 50% for the game. I guess my question is, is if they got one of those in, can that be enough to steamroll to where the offense does start clicking? Because, again, I, got, I have gone back and watched – some of the women's games after the fact. And there's open shots. I mean, it's just a matter of can you knock down a shot? And honestly, when we talk about the men and say it's going to be the same thing I'm going to talk about, can they knock down an open shot? Because they're getting open looks. And, yes, coaches design plays, do whatever, but eventually somebody has to hit a shot. I mean, I'll never forget – one time, a guy heckled Steve Forbes, who's the only coach I know that would turn around and yell back at the fan. And he yelled at him about, he's got to run better plays. And coach said, I got him two feet from the rim. I can't dunk it for him. And, you know, again, Coach Ezell can't hit the shot for some people. You know, no coach can. Eventually, you have to look in the mirror and go, I've got to do better. I've got to be able to hit that. And I just feel like, or I hope, that if they get one of those games, that that will be enough to where it just starts to carry, and it just feels like there's almost like when the first few shots go down, it's almost like, uh-oh, here we go again, and not for the team but for the player. So I'm wondering if a few of those players can combine to get a, a 7 of 10, 8 of 10 to start the game, can that be enough for all of them to be like, okay, here we go. And even if you can just do that for a half, I'm not even asking for the entire game because you hit that third quarter at the beginning of it, and it seems like pretty consistently, habitually, and I'm not saying this is going to be the case every single game, but stats over a two-year period have shown that the beginning of those third quarters are tough. The way that a lot of these Southern Conference games go, which are just low-scoring, rough-and-tumble, you know, just points are at a premium, get to the number that you want to get to, and that number is probably going to be, like we said, 60 or 65. If you can sustain for an entire half, you're probably going to get 40. Then all you got to get is 20 or 25 in that second half, and that's not too much to ask. The problem is the Bucks haven't had that explosive quarter yet. They haven't scored more than 23 points in a quarter this year. Last year they only broke 25 four times. They have to, as you said, string shots together, string possessions together. And that connectedness that you need to be able to have those shots um, once they fall to be contagious, where everybody's got the hot hand all of a sudden, you just haven't seen it so far this year. So one conference game's out of the way. It's against what I think is going to be the league champion. 
and now you're up against the Wofford team, who, yes, they won their first conference game. I still think it's going to be a huge rivalry game. Let's be honest, they're, they're geeked up for that game. Yeah, I mean, no it, doubt. you can look at that for sure and go, well, that, that could just be a that's our arch rival. Just like ETSU, that's our arch rival. Had a little more juice going in there. So now you got a Wofford game where I think the Terriers have used matchups against ETSU as progress, right? Because they lost, what was it, 23 of the first 26, and now they've won four in a row. So that's been demonstrated progress for Jimmy Garrity and that team. So if you want to continue to show that progress, you have to go out and ensure that the Bucks do not have that kind of breakout quarter. So I don't think the season is in any peril right now, but this is going to be a very telling series because I think that these two teams are vying for that third, fourth, fifth spot. I, I think Jimmy Garrity would be very happy with a top-half finish considering the turnover from this team last year. Chloe Wannick's second-leading scorer in program history. Deja Green transferred to Virginia Tech. He tells you what kind of player she was, led the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. Cairo Booker, second in the league in steals last year. Three huge losses. And considering you've got what I think is the best player on their roster, Jackie Carmen, when she's at her best, coming off missing a year and a half of basketball, and she's underperforming. And you're 1-0, you're 5-3 and three on the year. I think that's already very positive for that program. And so... All that to say, I don't necessarily think that this team, considering the turnover and the Carmen struggles and what we've seen from them and see from their roster right now, it's not exactly loaded like it's been the last couple of years, and they even struggled to break 500 when it was. I don't think this is a team that's going to be a top-half finisher. So I think that these games are winnable for ETSU. I think they have to take at least one in order to be where they want to be. And I think in order to do that, as we've harped on, you have to have at least one or two of those explosive quarters. I mean, what was the rule of thumb? We hear Coach Shea say all the time, you got to be able to hold serve at, at home and split on the road. When right. you get these little double dips like that, you got to at least try to get one. And obviously, if you can take two, you're ahead of the curve. So, I, I, And this will be interesting. This will be the first time the league's done this. I mean, there's been an occasional like oddity in the schedule where – in, in some years, they've done a straight like you'll you'll play one team, roll through the, you know, the other seven, and then you'll just turn around and play that last team you played and go all the way back. So then you do the weird, you play a team begin season, end of the season, everybody else in reverse order. But other than that, this would be an oddity where you're playing everybody like that except for your rival and free tissues Chattanooga. So I'm kind of curious how the second one goes. I actually got a bold prediction on uh, sort of the uh, what the second games will look like. We'll get into a little bit later. So the men. They got Furman, the women, as we just previewed. They got uh, double dip down in Spartanburg against Wofford on Thursday at 7. Broadcast time, 6.30. Mike Gallagher on the call actually tonight. And then uh, tomorrow, uh, no game Friday, Saturday, double header will be 1.30 pregame show, 2 o'clock tip ETSU Wofford. And then 4 o'clock will join me and the men against Furman, which we'll preview after this time. Alan Sano Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. We've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
Sandos and a sidekick back with you as we are talking little ETSU men's basketball. It's been a while. I, I'm not even sure we can talk about it. I mean, they've been gone for three games. I've almost forgot who's on the roster. We'll see what happens. I'm just kidding. But uh, it will be an ESPNU game, part of the new TV package. And so, I, you know, national television, everything else, if you can't get jacked up for that, unfortunately for me, it's not in the Bon Secure Wellness Center, the downtown arena. I don't know. Yeah, uh, the Obalo Center, uh, for those who remember the Southern Conference used to be there. But I, it's back at Timmins. Since Timmins has been built in the early 80s, the Bucks really have had a hard time playing there. It, just for whatever reason, it's one of the places that's been tough for them. So I'm a little disappointed it's back in Timmins. I get why, and it's it's moving weekend for the Furman students and stuff, and the president had some for Furman had some reservations, so the game's back there. It's on national television. Great opportunity for both programs. It's a great opportunity for the Southern Conference to get the second of what would be, I think, five games that they're going to have on ESPNU this year. So excited about that. Furman is, you know, I don't want to quote Denny Green every time we have a podcast, but they are who we thought they are. They are always going to be – top heavy the top five scores are going to be the guys that get them going and just to prove that 88 percent of their field goal attempts have come from the starters 86 percent of the attempts from three-point range have come from the starters 93 percent of the free throw attempts have come from the starters the bench has only attempted and it's just in league play uh, those numbers i mentioned first were overall but in league play the bench has only attempted 24 field goal attempts Nine three-pointers, which they attempted six yesterday against Citadel. So only attempted three in the previous games prior. And they're one for four of the benches from the free throw line. In league action, 91% of the scoring is from the starters, 88% from the rebounders. And those dropped tremendously because yesterday's game got a little out of control. And I know you look at the final score and Citadel scored, I think, the last 10 points of the game or something to make it a single-digit game. But it was about 20 points when they started throwing in all the other uh, the bench players, the three or four bench guys, they do accidentally let out on the floor. It's always going to be a top-heavy team. They're going to be really good because they have such continuity in the top five. I still believe they're never going to win a tournament because they are not deep enough to ever overcome, whether it's foul trouble, whether an injury, whether it's just three days and three games. They're just not going to be able to do it until they do it. I'm not convinced of it. That being said, they still have guys that can score. They've got guys that understand their roles. And they have guys that wait their turn like Clay Mounts, who had another new career high. It's his fifth 20-point game this season. Uh, Yesterday against Citadel, he threw 29 on the board. You look at Noah Gurley. He's thrown 29 on the board last year, had a season high of 23. I think he had a three-game stretch where he was uh, uh, 20 points or more. Mike Bockwell's had five 20-point games. So three starters have had three to six 20-point games so far this season. And then you look at Alex Hunter, who is on pace, um, I believe, still to set the all-time assist-to-turnover ratio record in the Southern Conference. How about these numbers? This is his fourth year, okay? 304 assists, 103 turnovers. Wow. Career numbers. So Alex does a great job running the offense. He knows exactly where he's what he's supposed to do with it. Then you add in Slauson, and, you know, he's the typical big guy. He's no Matt Rafferty by any stretch of imagination, but he does what he's supposed to do, averages eight points, cleans up on the glass, and then, you know, occasionally Colin Kearney will get in, 
Garrett Hine will get in, and that's about it. Seven guys will play. The eighth and ninth guy gets a minute, two, three a game, but virtually a six, seven-man rotation with the top five guys, and I don't have the minutes in front of me, but they're probably averaging 28 or more. 32, 27, 28. 30, 26. Okay, so without having in front of me, I was pretty daggone close if you average it out 28 or more when you combine all five of them. So it, 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 they, you get them in foul trouble, Clay Mounts fouled out in that Alabama game. That would have been a really good win. I don't know if you must paid attention to Alabama lately. If you're a Tennessee fan, you certainly know about Alabama because they beat Tennessee right after they beat ETSU. So they've been rattling off some wins, and Furman had them on the ropes, let them off the hook. And so Furman, and they haven't had to – miss games because of COVID themselves. They've missed games because of other teams' COVID, but they've been in a little bit more of a rhythm than everybody else. Plus, they had so many guys returning that had played together. Again, the system, Bob Ritchie doesn't bring in a lot of transfers. They had a couple. They don't lose a lot of guys. They have guys that wait because I guess they figure, you know, if I can just wait two years, I'm going to get 32 minutes and score 20 points a game because coach isn't going to sub anybody else in. So they figured it out, and so their starting five is as good as any not just in our league, but in across, I would say, almost all of mid-major basketball. I know you had a chance to watch some of that game against the Citadel yesterday. What did that tell you? 94 to 88, they were up by, what, 15 or so with eight minutes to go, and Citadel chips away at it and chips away at it. And by the way, the fact that Furman was favored by 14 on the road, I'm not sure you have ever seen a team, and may ever see a team again, undefeated up until a conference game that is that big of a home dog. I'm not sure that's ever happened. Now, well, granted, it's a unique set of circumstances. Right, right. But, but still, I, like I gave you the, the mid-major madness that posted it, so I don't want to take credit <laughs> yeah, for the stat. pretty crazy, though. They had, they, were the, they had won every game they'd played thus far, and going into yesterday's game, Bob, whatever the FBI predictor thingy is, they were predicted to lose every game. I don't know that you will we'll ever, in the history of college basketball, find that again. Th- again, in – when you get into conference play, you get into turn the calendar. And I don't care if they've lost some games because of COVID or not. You will not find, even if you went all of non-conference and you got to schedule every cupcake in America, you would assume whenever you got into league play, at some point you would be favored at some time. You can't get favored against Sanford. You can't get favored against VMI at home. Like, like somewhere you would be favored. That was the most amazing stat I ran into yesterday and uh, shared it with Mike because I, we couldn't believe it. And then to to see the Wise guys had a 14, 14 and a half. And then at some point at the under-eight timeout, it was a 15-point game, and I'm going, holy crap, what do they know? Again, Vegas you're always amazes me. a guy. Let's just clarify that, too. Jeff Goodman said the one team that you need to pay more attention to yesterday said this is Citadel around the country. Mm-hmm. At you scoffed one. at that. You scoffed at that, and you're not a Citadel guy. But even you, as not a Citadel guy, not a believer, and understandably so because – what have they done? They've beaten four 91s and 41s, right? We don't have a big enough sample size against quality competition to know if they're good or not, if they're going to sustain. But even you, as not a Citadel guy, said 14. Yeah, and that's they're crazy. Eight, they're eight, no. no cra- 14 and a half, I think. I think it actually opened it, yeah. I, I think it actually went down to 13 and a half at tip. Um, Still. Only because I and I, I generally look at opening, because like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't bet. I don't, I don't care. I am interested in, like, what the first line is, right? I, I am in the league just to see what the wise guys are thinking. What's the outside perspective? And a lot of times, let's be honest, there's not a lot of thought process in the Southern Conference. You know, FCS football specifically, but even Southern Conference games, there's not a lot, I think, of thought process. They just crunch a couple numbers and go, that's what it should be. 
And so I thought it was ludicrous and almost disrespectful, honestly, to go 14 and a half <laughs> on the road. And then I thought it was even more ludicrous that whatever that power index was had him predicted to lose every game. Yes. And I'm like, you, you can't, you, yeah, you can't give them a, a win against any other bottom team in the league. It was ridiculous. So, as much as I was not on the, we should be talking about Citadel undefeated this far in the season, blah blah blah. I still think I, I'm not that crazy to defend Citadel in what the wise guys had, Furman and what the wise guys apparently have for the rest of the year for Citadel you know because they write this down. Citadel win another game. No, they're going to win another game. They are not going to go defeated the rest of the way. I mean, they're they're going to win another game. But to be – and I get it. that That's not an end-all, be-all. But for them to be predicted to lose absolutely everything, I just thought was ludicrous. You will agree that during a conference season, unless maybe you have that weird one-off game in the beginning of December. But still, I mean, you – because you'd have about six or seven games played at that point in a regular year. I still don't think you're going to see a home team in a conference game that is undefeated, that is that big about it. Anyway, did anything jump off the page about that game, or was it just simply Citadel doesn't play any defense, Furman can score, that's the game? Well, I mean, if Furman can score, I think there's no doubt. I think the game played out probably where I thought it would. There wasn't any, like, absurd numbers other than, again, uh, it's unbelievable to me to see Clay Mounts, and I, I couldn't be more wrong when I – first started to see him play and sign and and again he's from sort of where I'm from in Travelers Rest South Carolina and knowing a little bit about that area and playing against some of those guys back I just was like ah I know he's big and you know he's awkwardly athletic he can flat out jump it's insane to watch him dunk a basketball and I think that's probably what throws people off because you know he kind of looks like a ho-hum guy you know and he's super athletic he's turned himself into a particularly great shooter I mean you know it's not often that that he's gone cold especially last year as he got I think third team all conference and you know one one of the preseason picks this year so I mean he's done an outstanding job of turning himself into a solid division one basketball player I thought Noah Gurley because his size and length at 6'8 can really move I thought Mike Bothwell's very talented getting to the rim he's tough to stop He's hit some big shots in his career early on as well. So, uh, But that game in particular, you know, it was really how I thought it would play out because Citadel wants the game to be going quick. They want to take shots. They give you shots because they want that 90 to 90, and they just feel like that they can hit more shots than you. So, And for whatever reason, down there, they always seem to, to score more. And if you even look again, I, I think I brought this up before the game, the fact that ETSU down there is averaging like 94 points a game, but up here it's more in like 78, 80. It's like a 16, 18-point difference playing down in Charleston. So just down there, they just get the tempo going. So, no, it didn't really shock me that the number that, – that the scoring total – the actual score itself probably, if you had told me to throw a dart on the board, I probably would have said, okay, Furman 95, you know, 88, 80, 89. I would have been close to what this score would have been. I would not have been – you know, I might have said 195, but I would have been close to what it would have been. I would not have been uh, where some of Citadel's road games are more, you know, 80 to 72. Like I would not have, pred- I would have predicted a high-scoring affair. To your point, Jason Shea's time here, the Bucks have won once at Furman, and that was a 62 to 61 game, and they had to pull it out in the last second with Asante Bradford hitting a little teardrop with like four seconds left, and basically steal a victory. 
right? And not to say that the Bucks weren't the better team that day, but 62-61. So you can tell the style of game that gets it done for ETSU there. And you look at Furman this year at home, and once again, they're stout. But let's look at that 6-0 record a little bit closer. 391s, USC Upstate, who started the year 0-9, South Carolina State, who are still winless, and then Mercer, but remember, Mercer didn't have Natalie Alvarez. By the way, he did return last night, so he is back for Mercer. Didn't help them against Chattanooga yesterday, but they were trying to figure things out without Alvarez at that time was Mercer. Uh, average margin of victory in the first five was 36 points, and then Mercer, without Alvarez, they only beat by three. So I by no means think that if the Bucks are just any random opponent that this is a game that is completely out of the realm of possibility. I think, unfortunately, since it's ETSU, it seems like a little bit further of a stretch to say they go on the road and win at Furman simply because the Paladins just have had so much success against ETSU there. Let me just give you this, too. In league play right now, as a team, they're shooting 51% from the floor. So, I mean, they're scoring the basketball. Oh, I'm sorry. They're 51% overall this season. In league play, they're better. They're 52%. So... They've been able to score a lot, but in the same token, they're giving up, I think, very uncharacteristic defensive numbers. They're letting teams shoot 49% from the floor and 41% from three. So I think that's a little bit um, odd, but the fact that they shoot 52% from the floor, and again, because of all their starters, you're looking at Clay Mounts as a 60% field goal percentage in league play. He's 50%, 9 of 18 from three in league action. Mike Bothwell shooting 58% from the floor. Gurley's 47%. Slauson's 50%. And the other starter, Alex Hunter, is 48%, who doesn't particularly shoot the ball a lot. But he's 7-16 from three, which is 44% as well. I mean, they are really efficient right now offensively, and there's just not a lot of rebounds to go around because of the way they score. Now, again, they're giving up some scoring too. But still, I think it's going to be a challenge. I mean, Mounts in league plays averaging 21. Bothwell and Gurley's averaging 18 and then Slauson at 10 and 9 points for Hunter in league play. So it, it's incredible to me. I mean, Bothwell's averaging 18 points. He's got 12 assists in three games. He's got 10 steals in three games. I mean, just incredible numbers. And they have the luxury of, I believe, everybody started every game. So they've had the same starting line. Or at least, no, that's right. Yeah. So the continuity's there. They return a lot. Again, they don't have a lot of transfers out, a lot of transfers in. And so – it's going to be, I think, a tough matchup, particularly because, A, it's in Timmins Arena and because the starting five is really on a roll right now. And you wonder how the continuity is going to be for ETSU after the long layoff. Everyone is going to have to be at their best this game. And there's going to be some news tomorrow that will show you exactly why. But you're already going to have to be at your best at Furman, even more so when you hear that news. And really, you haven't had everyone at their best in terms of people you rely on to score during the same time frame this year, let's just look back at it. The first five games of the year, Damari wasn't hitting. Ty was pretty silent. Then against Columbia International and Lee, pretty so-so for David Sloan, but you get more from Monsanto and Sorrell Smith. Then Alabama, Sloan and Monsanto are up, but Smith and Ty back down, and Silas gets in foul trouble. We know that was the big turning point of that game. Sloan doesn't play against Western, and all of a sudden the team clicks, but you've got him back, and you need him. Then Sorrell has his best game, and Silas is strong against UNCG, but Monsanto and Ty struggle again. You're going to need everybody to do exactly what they're capable of, if not more than that, in terms of the players that were mentioned. And you haven't had that so far this year. It's a lot to ask for, especially going on the road to a place you historically have not won. When you're coming off of two weeks off that were not at your own volition. 
right? You're not going to be able to go in and have two or three guys show up. Have 15 from Damari and Ty and then, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys at five, six, seven. Just not going to work because this team does score. If they're able to get in a rhythm like they did in the second half, what was it, three years ago down there? If they're able to do that over any four or five minute period and they knock down 10, 11 quick shots, that, that might be enough because ETSU hasn't yet been that team that consistently has scored. Now, in conference play, looked a lot better, right? But can you even go back and consider that? Well, now that there's been two weeks between the games. Well, that, that's true, too. Uh, they have – I think they the, – there's never a good time for this to happen. But when you come off huge, I think, road win, home win, and you start to get a little bit sense of, okay, we're starting to figure out who's doing what role, who's doing what, everyone's starting to go, guys are clicking. It's looking a little bit more like last year where the difference is, yes, you have a score every time that had been showing up in Ladarius Brewer, and then he was getting a run of mate, other than I guess maybe two games this year hadn't shown up. Uh, but other than that, he's been the guy. And then is it going to be a lot of the guys that you mentioned, right? And so I think that is sort of the deal. I think we started to see Salas Adeke come to his own and what he's going to be, not just defensively, which I still think is underrated and will go under the radar around the league, but he's starting to figure out how can he get to 8, 10 points a game, right? How can these guys come in and play? We saw a couple key plays at UNCG where guys who really don't get a lot of time made two of the biggest plays in the Truth Harris three in the corner, Richard Moffle saving the ball, getting, uh, getting knocked down on his keister, getting up and getting the tap in, you know, Kept the ball alive, second-chance points, another offensive rebound. Little things like that. Everyone was starting to figure out, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is why we're successful. Everyone's starting to go, and then you just shut her all down. So, curious to see, because Furman has been playing. i got 12 games in on the season so far. How is ETSU going to respond after the layoff against a team that has been going and – cards and logic would say it's probably going to be better for the home team who wouldn't love to have this game play when it was um, you know with both teams you know ETSU would have got the extra three games in they were supposed to have let's say even if they went two and one and maybe the loss at Wofford which which I think still a premier matchup or even if you won that in your three and you had everything rolling for a national televised game what I hope is that it's not a situation where we've seen ETSU lay an egg and it's been 20, 30-point you know, deficits because you get a chance to be on national television. You get a chance to sell stuff. And Southern Conference wants a great game because this was obviously chosen as two teams that were going to compete and have an opportunity to do it. But the, you just don't know with everything with the layoff. and How, how is everybody going to respond? I know they start practicing. I think it was Tuesday. And so, yes, they're going to get three or four days to try to get back. But, you know, when you're shut down like that, it's not like you're going to the gym and getting stuff in. You know, you have to quarantine, self-isolate. You have to get away from everybody. I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, anything comes to mind, but I think that this would be considering the circumstances, gosh, a top maybe two or three win for ETICU and Jason Shea's time here. Of course, the Southern Conference Championship games, you have to say that because that's for a championship. The game against Western last year, final game of the year in the regular season sealing the championship, Pat Good's heroics. So maybe top three is a bit aggressive, but certainly in the regular season, I think this would be a top three victory during Jason Shea's time here, considering the circumstances. 
Yeah, circum. Yes, I. You know, because everything is sort of face value, right? Not not every game is e- not every firm any tissue game is equal in the meaning and everything. But coming off, I think when you had national television, coming off the long layoff, not sure what's going to happen. Furman's clearly rolling. I think to get that win and to gut one out after that, I think would cement to the rest of the league. You know, don't pay attention to each issue's early struggles. You know, this is going to be a, a team to contend. In the same token, I don't think you should, you know, jump off the dome if the Bucks lose that no, because it's going to take, you know, I think it says more if they win the game than if they lose the game, to your point of, of what it is. Absolutely no question. Furman's averaging 93 points per game over this four-game win streak that they're on. If the Bucks, I also think it's a huge monumental victory if ETSU can get it because of what's next. Five of your next six are at home. And if you look at the schedule, it's not exactly stacked with just chalk opponents, teams that are going to contend for a conference title. I mean, you've got the makeup against VMI on Monday. At Western, I still think it's a sneaky game. I really don't think that's going to be easy. Still don't know if Cameron Gibson's going to be back or not. They haven't played I don't think in a couple of weeks now, right? I can't remember. I think they're scheduled to play Western. Saturday. So they're scheduled to play Saturday, yeah. so we might know a little bit more then. Um, but then Furman, obviously at home, you know, if you can beat them on the road, goodness, you feel good about them coming into your building. Chattanooga Citadel Sanford. And, yes, Chattanooga, basically every game that they're playing is tight, right? And they beat Mercer yesterday and other teams. A big come from behind win. Get it. Totally get it. But, again, with their start and what they've been with David Jean Baptiste round two <laughs> this season – I'm not feeling like that's a game that ETSU is going to or should lose. And then Citadel and Sanford, you know, is Citadel who you think they are? Is Sanford who I know they are? I think that you've got to get, of those six games, four wins at the very least because you're beating BMI, Chattanooga. Sanford for sure, uh, I would think Citadel, Western, Furman, definitely one of those three. Gosh, you can get two of those three, then you're 5-1 and one in those. And if you beat, get the Furman victory, then all of a sudden you're in the driver's seat for the league championship. So this is big not only because of what it can do right now and the circumstances ETSU are facing and the big audience that they're going to have on ESPNU, but also for what it can be in terms of a springboard going through the rest of January and early February. I mean, at, if you include this Furman game, right, so seven games, right? So If you include the Furman game. Right. So if we, for my math, listen to you, I'm thinking, you know, if you go five and two, including sure. this Furman game. And those seven games where you get five home games, your road games are Furman, obviously, and then the midweek Western, but you get the rest at home. What are you, seven and two going into the back half of conference play? Oh, I mean, fantastic. And again, after, after the and after the break, right? After And you look across the league right now, and, you know, just a couple of, um, well, just one. Is it two? Is it just ETSU and Furman left on the undefeated? I believe it is. Because, I think you're right, yeah. Because UNCG beat Wofford. And, Wofford, and, yeah. and then Citadel got beat. So, yeah, it's just two teams that are undefeated right now, and if ETSU Furman happen to even split that to get what you don't want is if ETSU goes 5-2, and two, both those losses obviously to be Furman uh, because then you're just playing catch-up the rest the rest of the league. But if you can split those, you know, 6-1, and one, how great would that look? 7-0, and oh, now, I'm, now I'm living a pipe dream. You're going to have to calm me down here. But I think <laughs> clearly these seven games – Stretch, especially because you're you're getting ready to rattle off a lot too, and and guys coming that haven't been able to condition and do things for a while in quarantine at Furman. That's Saturday, then Monday, then Wednesday, then Saturday. A little bit of a long break till Wednesday, Saturday, Monday. Then you go on the road 
Wednesday, Saturday. Oh, my goodness. So, you got to be able to take advantage of the stretch, too, I guess would be the other point of it. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Bucks kind of open the bell because traditionally Furman has gone out and sort of kicked the teeth into the Bucks early. And even you've mentioned the, the win with Sante Bradford, but there was even a game where the Bucks fell down 18, and it was during the Cromer-Gwynn combination days, and G-Line had a chance late in the game to hit a shot to, to tie it, but they had to come back from 18 down and weren't able to get it to go. And it was one of those where Coach Forbes brought what we've talked about. Where you spend so much energy to come back, and you had a chance to top like a minute to go, and it didn't drop, and you could just feel like the rest of the – the, the lung collapsing, if you will, for the rest of the team. And then last year's game was one of those two where it was like 14, 16 down, and they got it to you know, two or three. And then Bruce Benedict went blow the darn whistle, if you will, <laughs> and all that stuff. So I, I think it's going to be uh, the start of the game to me because ETSU traditionally does not start well down there, and Furman does. But considering the layoff, I think ETSU cannot find themselves down 12, 15, 16 early. They're going to have to try – to, to find a way to not – because what, what happens, again, even if you fall 16 early but you get it to two points at halftime, again, the energy spent to get it to two points at halftime will wear you down. The opposite effect, if ETSU happen to just go bonkers early because of lack of depth for Furman, that could work ETSU's favor. That very rarely happens down there, so I'm not counting on that. I think it's either going to be an evenly played first half or Furman's going to have a pretty decent lead just going off what traditionally has happened down there. So – Bowl predictions coming up right after this timeout. Sandra Sakik on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Three, two, one. Now you can enjoy the new year with more games, more chances to win, and even more fun from the Tennessee Lottery. And you can play any way you like. Play quick and win big with instant games. Or try drawing-style games that pack a big money bunch. So don't drop the ball. Make a resolution to put a little more cash and a whole lot of fun in your pocket today with the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season, Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Lake Forest, L-O-L. Steve Ford most certainly will be back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Bold just predictions. I think you couldn't yeah, I sent you right off of that one. Any dumber. Wrong. Wrong. Putting that mojo out there for your predictions. Because we have been wrong. We have been very wrong. You got three right, I got two right. So I'm winning. In like seven all right, you're up. I'm winning. In like seven or eight weeks. That's right. That's right. I'm winning. I'm winning. You go. Right. ETSU women's basketball will have an individual set a season high for the team in both assists and rebounds. Let me tell you what I mean. So Kaya, Amaya, Makaya, Jakaya, all the Ayas are tied for a game high for ETSU this year with eight rebounds. So four different games, they've had eight rebounds. So somebody will have more than eight. Somebody's going to have more than eight. Okay. Carly Hooks, season high, six assists. I think I said five was a season high in assists in our first segment. Six is a season high in assists for a single game, for a single player. Carly Hooks, six. Somebody's going to break 
bad as well. So rebounds and assists, and I get the two games. Don't you try and cheat me out of the two games. Don't you do it. Don't do it. I hear you. Look at you. Look at that judging look. I can hear your thoughts, Jason. So, because I don't know how to judge the back-to-back opponents deal, okay. my prediction is going to be on Saturday and Sunday, so all four second games, the okay. total scores will be down 50 points or more from what they were on Thursday, Friday. Down 50 or more. Yeah, so 12 and a half per game. That bold? The scoring will go down. Nah, I don't know if that's bold. 75. 75. I don't, I, I don't have anything half. to go off of. 62 and what? a half. 62 and a half. Split the difference. So what would that, uh, what's that? 63 is a win. 62 is a loss. So 63 and a half. So what's that per game? 62 and a half. What's uh, that, that? that would be almost 16 per game. So 16 and points and per, game. per game. So each team has to score eight less per Correct. game. In every game. In every, yeah, no, I, I, well, yeah. So I mean, some t- some game may be may skew it, but overall, that's what you're averaging. I'm not saying correct. Easy. Okay, all right. You agree? Now, f- I, f- I, f- I think he was a little bit low there. I, yeah, I don't think. I don't, I, don't, I don't think it was low. Yeah, very low. I don't uh, think it was low. ETSU men's basketball will have five, count them five, in double figures. Five scores in double figures, a season high. They had four against Columbia International, and Western Carolina. And by the way, you can notice the theme here. Two different categories, ETSU sets, individual team highs, double digits. We're in our 200th set of episodes now. We're into the 200s, Jay Sando. So there is a theme here, and you'll see it in my third bowl prediction as well. But ETSU men's basketball, five double-figure scorers, a season high. Do you still have the red alert button? Okay. ETSU will hold firm and under 70. Oh! Under 70 when they're averaging 93 per game over this four-game Win streak. 93. And how many in conference play overall? Let me let me let oh, me let, let me just tell you how many times they've been held under seventy this year. Once maybe? None. Zero. <laughs> None. God, that is there cool. you go. I can't be more I can't be more brazen with my prediction than that, buddy. Someone check to see if I still had a brain. I hope you're right though. That'd be fantastic. Every NFL game this weekend, now there's only four, but still. Every NFL game will be separated by multiple scores. You remember I did the eight points or less, so everything was one score last week. Because we're in our 200th set of episodes, we passed 200. We're into the, I guess, third hundred technically. But, you know, we're in the 200s, and so I'm doing doubles of everything. You know, two categories, women's basketball, double-digit scores, men's basketball. Now we're going to do double what we did last year. It's going to be multiple scores. At least two scores are going to separate every one of these games. You got some great football last weekend. You're going to get some really bad football this weekend. A lot of blowouts. Okay, so I, I guess my bold prediction of a six seed will make a conference finals looking bad because unless they blow them out. Yeah, well, it, at least in terms of my bold prediction. Okay. So Rams, Browns. Who's taking a six seed? Are they both sixes? The uh, Browns and the Rams are both six seeds. Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. One of them. A little bit of a head-to-head we got going on. Will Although. Make- do you think the Rams will just go into Lambo and shut down Aaron Donald? Is Aaron Donald going to play? Let me let me just say that the Packers have been known to not necessarily play their best football in January with Aaron of the Rodgers. Wow. And that is slanderous. And I'm going with the hot Cleveland Browns are going to run the football over Kansas City. Aaron Donald on his one the injury. Other. One of the other one. Feeling real He's good. Fine. He's feeling good. Feeling real good. I, I imagine Jared Goff's all right, too. So it sounds like the Rams are going to be at full strength 
I just need uh, Cup and Cooper to make every dive and catch them to mankind because golf can't throw it to them in the bread basket. Cooper so. Cup does not practice Wednesday. Oh, you might fine. be in trouble. Fine. You fine. might be in trouble. Fine. There we go. We'll be back to recap this weekend in college basketball and our bad bold predictions on our next Sandos and Sidekick on the Locketeer. Of course, that worked. Cowboy up and go play ball.